0: Welcome to the Diet Doctor Podcast with Dr. Brett Sure. Today I'm joined by Dan Skolnick from Trinity Ventures. Now this is a little bit of a different guest because he's involved in venture capital, but what makes him such a great guest is he has his own personal journey like so many of us, but he started off as a kid with hypercholesterolemia and he's going to tell you about his story. He's also had problems with energy and fatigue, then came across this guy named Dave Asprey as a budding entrepreneur but didn't buy into the low-carb scene until he heard Gary Topps speak and then all of a sudden he became a fan of low-carb. And so what I loved talking to Dan about was not only his personal journey but then how he transitioned as to an investor in Bulletproof which has its positives and negatives, and we talk about both sides of the company, but also what that means in terms of his vision for what Silicon Valley's role is in health investment, what their role is in trying to find the next big thing. So we talk about lab-grown meats, we talk about hydroponic vegetables, we talk about just trying to make agriculture more productive and more efficient, and we try and tie it all in to get his perspective on just what his role is, what Silicon Valley's role is, and what we as the general population can hope to get out of Silicon Valley and health in the future. So I hope you find this an interesting and a little bit different uh, interview that you still come away with some great great little pearls to learn and, and kind of help you understand this world a little bit better. So enjoy this interview with Dan Skolnick from Trinity Ventures. Dan Skolnick, welcome to the Diet Doctor podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: So we were talking a little bit offline and I didn't realize just how great of a candidate to interview you are. I was looking for the business side of the low-carb world and I came across you because you had a personal history with low-carb and are involved in the business and investment side of low-carb. But it goes even deeper than that. You've got familiar hypercholesterolemia, you're a hyper-responder, these are hot, hot topics. So I look forward to discussing all this with you today. So if you could start, give us a little background on on your first experiences with low-carb and maybe how that transitioned into an investment strategy.
1: You know, it it started um, in in 2010. I mean, actually, the story goes back to when I was 10 years old. I mean, that's when it really started. And um, it, that was when... It was probably around that time, so this is in the 80s, that um, uh, I, my sister and I, my, and I have a younger sister, were diagnosed with high cholesterol, which ran in the family. And I was told, and this is important context, um, we, were t- we were put on... Drugs, cholesterol lowering medication back then. Yeah, you're wow. giving me a surprise look. But yes. yes, yes, and I think back to that and think, oh my god, what were we?
0: It must have been Mevacor. I think that was the only statin we were taking. Was um, it wasn't lovastatin. a statin.
1: We were taking Equestrian. Um, uh, oh wow! Which like getting a, getting like a ten or twelve year old to to put that. Powder in your or- thick like you had this thick. We'd mix it in You'd orange juice. You'd mix it juice. up and drink it. We'd mix yeah. it in orange juice. I mean, God, it's like that. Just like thinking about it, that taste comes back into my mouth, and I want to vomit. <laughs> sorry, um, but um, and we were told to follow a very strict diet, and you can you can guess low fat, high yeah, carb yeah. diet. Yeah, so I, I was told less than ten grams of saturated fat a day. There was nothing said about carbs, it was just don't don't eat fat right. or or cholesterol. So, no eating cholesterol, no eating fat. But eat anything else you want. Eat anything else you want. So, right. I was like a kid and was like, oh, well, bread, this piece of bread doesn't have any fat or cholesterol, so I can go to town on this stuff yeah. of bread. Or like these gummy bears, they don't have... Fat or cholesterol, so I can I can go to town. And where were all those like cookies that they came out with back then that didn't have fat but had like snack uh, wells? Yeah. yeah, snack wells. And anyway, fast forward. I twenty ten. Um, I'm you know here as the general partner at Trinity Ventures, and and um, we invite this guy who had worked at one of our portfolio companies in the past to come be an entrepreneur in residence with us. And this is somebody who's, you know, transitioning in their career and they hang out with us for a while while we help them find the next thing they're going to do. And that guy was Dave Asprey. Dave would walk around our office with plates, like a plate of food that would have a stick of butter, a pile of smoked salmon and like an avocado and when we were all eating our sandwiches for lunch, Dave would be sitting there like chowing down on a stick of butter. And you looked at that and said, I'm having a heart attack just watching you exactly. eat that. Exactly. That was your yeah. mindset. And right? I, was, I, I would literally make fun of him. Yeah. I, I would, I, you know, it's like you're a crazy man, what are you doing? Like what, what is this? Nobody eats a stick of butter. Um, and finally I gave him... Finally one day I was feeling really bad about it uh, and I went over to his office and I said, Dave why don't we schedule some time to sit down and you can tell me what this thing you're doing is all about um, and like why you're walking around with a stick of butter all the time. And so um, that was my first introduction to low-carb. We actually sat down in a conference room and he he walked me through all of it. Wow. And I uh, my response was, this is insanity. Um, and, and, I mean, you can understand this because...
0: Um, well, because of the way you were brought up and the way you were taught by doctors over and over again. And, yeah, exactly. I, I
1: mean, it's a, it's a common story for all of us. It's like there's... It's hard to unlearn 30 years or 40 years of training or brainwashing or propaganda or whatever right. you want to call it. Um, it's and, the same for doctors as it is for, you know, everyday people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it just so happened at the time Dave was running a nonprofit um, here in the Bay Area and the next day... Um, they were running an event, and this guy named Gary Taubes was giving a talk. I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and so Dave said, "Like, look, don't believe me if you don't want to. Just do me one favor." And he said, "I want you to come to this event tomorrow night." Um, and um, I went, and I I saw Gary speak, and it just it blew my mind. Um, the work that he had done, and this was I get this was probably around the time of Good Calories, Bad Calories. Right. And um, and I started thinking what if everything that I was told about what was good for me to eat and bad for me to eat and what was going on with my cholesterol yeah. was based on faulty science and I've been taking these these drugs for decades, um, could this be doing damage to me? Hmm. A rude awakening huh it was a very powerful moment um, and and I went down the rabbit hole I like to think I'm sophisticated enough da- not to get like hoodwinked by charismatic people so I want to do my own research and so I read everything Gary had written and then I read all of the rebuttals to um, Gary's work like I then I then I ended up at the China study right and I read the China study and then I read all the rebuttals to the China story so I went my, my point is I went deep Um right. And after doing a lot of research, I came to the conclusion that um, well, there... At, and this is this is eight years ago, but like, well, um, that there was still a lot that we didn't know, that the ideas and the science that um, Gary and Dave and other folks in the community were talking about was on the right side of history.
0: So were you able to then say, okay, I'm, I'm buying in and I'm jumping in and I'm going to go for this low-carb lifestyle or was there still so much trepidation that you sort of like just had to dip your foot in the water first before you could jump in because of you know that sort of governor in your brain saying uh uh-uh, uh uh remember what you've been taught
1: yeah yeah i mean there was um there was a little bit of everything so um the thing that dave um, convinced me to do was to run experiments and and dave was i mean dave is still a biohacker um uh, and and but you know he was an early biohacker and that was how right. that's how he approaches everything, and and what he convinced me of, you know, and and what I became convinced of after I did all this research was that we do have a lot of tools available to us to change um, the way that we're feeling um, and different attributes of our lives. Some of the science is still pretty early, so. You have to experiment, and so that's what be, because there's not necessarily a one size fits all. So what Dave convinced me to do was start experimenting, and so the first thing I experimented with, well, like what happens if I um, if I just cut out carbs altogether? And yeah, it was like the f- like for the first month when I sat there like looking at a plate of eggs and bacon and you know a cup of coffee with butter in it. Every every time I went to eat that stuff, I just had this feeling like I am killing myself right now. And and that's why I totally just I, I empathize with people who are um trying to change their diet in any and lifestyle in any way, because that, that conditioning is so ingrained it's very hard to change.
0: Yeah, so psychologically I could see that how that was very challenging for you, but I read how physically it was actually pretty beneficial for you that you had this history of sort of chronic fatigue, being always feeling tired and down and that that started to improve. Is that is that the case? How long did it take until that started to improve and how did that impact your psychological barrier once you started
1: to feel better physically? Just, just to give a little bit more context, I mean energy issues were something that I had dealt with from a very young age and just feeling tired all the time and, and to the point where it was extreme enough that... Um, when it really that other people noticed it only came to my awareness, you know, maybe when I was in middle school or something like that, or out, uh, high school when a teacher said took me pulled me aside and said, "You know, Dan, you seem tired all the time, like what's up with that, and yeah. maybe you should try exercising you know it I don't want to say that it was the low carb diet by itself that um helped me feel a lot better from an energy perspective and and helped kind of reduce the amount of fatigue that I feel every day. Um, and by the way, it's still something I struggle with today, but it's a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But it was that um, concept that Dave introduced to me of biohacking and experimenting. And um, so that sent me down, you know, I started with this path of trying low-carb and trying to figure out what it would do to my cholesterol, my lipid profile. and then And, and then I started thinking what else... What else could I start to experiment around? That became energy issues. I noticed how low-carb was helping energy. I started introducing supplements. I started making other lifestyle modifications. I, you know, At the time I was using a Zio, which was a, a sleep monitor that was the, um, the very best on the market um, at the time so I could see what was happening during my sleep cycle. I was experimenting with energy. I was keeping detailed logs of everything about how I felt. I mean, it was a lot of work. I don't want to lie about that. What came out the, the other end was transformational um, in that for the first time in my life I had days um, where I didn't feel any fatigue at all. That alters your reality right. um, in a really profound way. Um, and it um it, you know it was very emotional i even get emotional right now like just thinking about what that transformation was like because it it changed it really changes you
0: yeah yeah and that's sort of what i was getting at with the question because th- we do have this um, big population now this community of hyper responders and one thing that's fairly consistent among them is they almost all say yeah but i feel so good you know my ldl's up but I feel so good and that that can help reframe your psychology. If you felt awful doing it or you didn't feel any better doing it, it would be a non-issue but it's because people feel so good with this lifestyle and they see so many other benefits that it makes it hard to want to change. So I guess that's where I was going with yeah. you if yeah. that that impacted your psychology of looking at that the eggs and bacon and, and your, your butter and your coffee. But now it didn't sound like that wasn't a long-term solution for you. Well, yeah,
1: and and by the way, I think there's maybe you left out the context from our offline discussion, yeah. which was that I, I I am a hyper responder, right. um, which means that when I go on a high fat diet, my LDLC and my LDLP um, rise substantially, um, and and it's not clear. And I'm happy to get into the details of this, but in my case, it's not clear whether that's good or bad. I I will say that. Um, what makes it difficult is that uh, what makes this whole thing challenging for me in figuring out what's the right thing for me to do, is that I do feel better on a low-carb diet, um, uh, but it's it's unclear what the impact on the lipid side of this is. Well, in, in terms of whether it's good or bad, and am I doing more harm or Less harm. So what I what I'm doing now is experimenting with different diets to um, see what kind of trade offs I can make in terms of what's happening in my lipid profile versus um, what how I'm how I'm feeling.
0: Okay, that makes um, sense.
1: You know, at the end of the day, you know, if you put a gun on my head, I'd probably said rather feel better more of the time and risk the high LDL see an LDLP then you know walk around feeling you know tired and depressed all the time.
0: Yeah, that's a great perspective and that's something that I deal with a lot with the clients I see and the number of people in this hyper responder community. It's the trade-off of feeling great for something that some people say might be detrimental down the road, but we actually really don't know. But we don't have the reassurance to know it's safe. 100. percent Either, and that's a it's an interesting place to be in. But um, I'd love to, I could talk to you about yeah, this all day I, long. But...
1: I, I guess if I can just interject for a second, sure. I think everybody has to make the the every every individual has to make their own decision on this right. matter. And right. because we just don't have all the science yet, we don't have all the information. And so um, I, I you know I think it's the responsibility of anybody who is a hyper responder to Become informed, and, and so that they can make an informed decision and try to trade off the the risks yeah, of, of whatever path they choose.
0: Absolutely, yeah. But then, so rewinding to meeting Dave Asprey, going to the talk with Gary Tobbs, then all of a sudden you put your money where your mouth is, literally, and made an investment in Bulletproof.
1: <laughs> it's a great story. I don't know how much there is to learn from it, yeah. um, but. Yeah, you know, we obviously here at Trinity, uh, we had a deep relationship with Dave, um, and he really opened up our eyes to this, um, this trend that was on the right side of history. And in the meantime, I think it was probably in 2010 that he bought this domain, web domain, bulletproofexec.com, and he and Lana, his wife, were publishing the Better Baby book. And then um, he started blogging about his biohacking journey on bulletproofexec.com, and we just um, and and it, by by that time, you know, Dave had really become my health and wellness um, guru or mentor, and and I started becoming a a bit of a business coach to Dave because what was happening is the the traffic to his website was building, mm-hmm. and and Bulletproof is an amazing story because it just kind of grew organically from that, um, you know, he. He was working another job at the time, and, um, and but more and more people were coming to the website, and they started asking him for products, and so he started referring them to um, to other companies to buy things. He started making some money off of affiliate sales, and then and then he started thinking, you know, I could make better products than what I'm referring people to, and so he started making his own products. And so this whole time, over the course of years the you know it was like the, the the snowball rolling down the hill getting bigger and bigger and um, it got to a point where you know bulletproof is becoming a substantial company uh, and Dave decided to um, uh, uh, to quit his job and focus on it full time and also decided to that he needed to raise capital to yeah. um, uh, to facilitate the expansion of the business. And, and obviously I had, watched, I had a front row seat as he was doing all of that um, because of our relationship. So it was a very natural, um, e- even though this is not what I typically invest in, we were talking earlier about how I mostly invest in you know, deep technologies like um, cloud computing and other infrastructure software that's probably not interesting to your audience, um, you know, we, we felt compelled um, uh, to invest in, in Bulletproof.
0: And at the same time, this was happening in a atmosphere where I think it was you who said every investor in Silicon Valley is on some sort of a low carb diet. Like it was low carb was sort of taking Silicon Valley by storm. And I find it curious, you know, how people can say, I think this is going to be the next big thing to invest in, especially something like Bulletproof or like we were talking about something like a fasting mimicking diet or basically things that people can do on their own. They don't require a product to do it, but yet in some cases it seems worth the investment to invest in a company just to do it a little bit better or a little bit more convenient for something that's a hot topic. And obviously, as you said, you thought it was on the right side of history, so you expected this to just take off both as a low-carb community, low-carb trend, low-carb movement and the specific product. But was there a little bit of concern that, well, look, anybody can put a slab of butter in their coffee, why do I want to invest in a company that's promoting something that's so simple to do.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And by the way, there was a lot of controversy around our investment in Bulletproof and every aspect of it. And, you know, we had vigorous debates um, within our partnership here about putting money in and, and even some of our investors... Um, after we made the investment, looked at, scratched their head and said, okay, these guys at Trinity have just gone off the rails. Like, you know, what are they doing? Because, you know, even this was, I think, in 2014 that we first invested. And the world has changed a lot even since 2014, right? This right. was leading-edge stuff and kind of crazy stuff four years ago. And, I, you know, people are not surprised anymore when you start talking about uh, low-carb. So it's, it's much bigger than it was. Um, we actually, even though I don't, Personally, haven't invested in a lot of um, uh, um, consumer retail companies. Trinity has a long history of doing it, and we were the first investors in Starbucks, for Cut. example. And you could say the exact same thing about Starbucks. It's they're just selling coffee, yeah. right? I mean, anybody else can make coffee. Bulletproof is selling. You coffee with some butter and some oil. anybody can do that. Why invest in 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 bulletproof? And ultimately, you know, this is going to maybe sound like a weird um, answer to you, and maybe you'll find it unsatisfying. I don't know. But with a lot of these companies, it's not what we're not investing in. We're not investing in the product. We're investing in the brand, Mm -hmm. which is really about the the trust that the company has built with its consumer audience. People went and go to Starbucks because they trust that when they go to Starbucks they're going to have a certain experience and get a, a, um, uh, a certain quality coffee. And um, in, in the, the space that the market that Bulletproof is in, which is in this kind of leading-edge health and wellness area, there is a lot of um, FUD out there, there are a lot of snake oil salesmen, Absolutely, there's, there's a lot of bad product and it's a confusing landscape. They were only in the beginning of uh, on the learning curve of understanding. And so, um, you know, what, what Dave did effectively at Bulletproof was um, build a brand that um, became a trusted source of guidance and information about how to achieve... Um, a higher level of human performance, and and so when when you look at bulletproof, um, you can trust, and our consumers trust that the coffee they're getting from us, for example, the coffee beans are high quality, and that the you know the oils are what we say they are, and they're differentiated, and they're also looking for the advice on how do I just make sense of all of this complexity out here? What should I do? Yeah, and so that that's the brand experience that we're. Investing in it's not about because you're right, you you could go out tomorrow and start a coffee company, that's not hard, but w- you know, why what's going to differentiate exactly. you exactly from all the others? And, and that, yeah. that brand, that brand, I mean, look at what a big company Starbucks has become over. We we invested in it in 1989. I'm guessing um, that
0: worked out pretty well yeah, for you guys, <laughs> that, that worked
1: out great. Um, And and but those that that brand that relationship with the customer is um, it's durable, um, and and it's it ends up being your source of competitive advantage.
0: Interesting, yeah. And you know, bulletproof for, for all that it is also has a lot of detractors and people who sort of frown upon it. And you know, some claims have been made that could be hard to defend. That you know, all you have to do is. Drink this coffee and you're going to start burning fat right away, or you can boost your IQ twenty points. I mean, there's a there's a point where you can get a, you cross the line, as you said. There's a lot of snake oil out there, and even if it's a good product, you can over promote it to a degree. Um, Maybe a tough question for you to answer, but is there any concern about crossing that line with
1: the company? For I mean, this is something we think about and talk about in board meetings all the time. Yeah, um, you know first first principles for me and for us investing in the company were that um, you know we did our own research. As I described, I went down the rat hole on this stuff and came to the conclusion that you know the work that that Dave and the team bulletproof on the on the scientific side, the work that they were doing was was sound uh, you know based on the best available information that was out there um, and that the the products really were mm-hmm. you know what? what the company says they are. I think that, you know, I don't want to give a cop-out answer, but some of this is hard because you're trying to, um, uh, you know, you're trying to change the world. Like there's really a, a, you know, a mission, I think, behind Bulletproof and even what you're doing, right? Even with this podcast and um, a diet doctor and whatnot, I mean, we're trying to help people get healthier. Right. It's, it's you know, there's a profit motive too, but it's almost... Secondary to the greater mission, and if you want to reach the most people possible, you want to do it in the like easiest language that um, with the with the clearest communication that they can understand. It's something that Dave is really good at, yeah. And I love Gary Taubs, for example. But normal human beings can't, um, aren't going to consume good calor The book, good calories, bad calories. He likes right? to joke it's, how thick it is. Yeah, and it's, it's and and he's so imp- what he does is so important. But that's not going to become mainstream, right? Yeah. So I think some of this well, is you're trying to figure out. And he's written books since. I think he got that feedback, and he's written books since then that are um, that are more e- easily digestible by a mainstream audience. But you know, part of it is um, I, I think there's some experimentation that Bulletproof um, has had to do. To to figure out what the right communication style is, and then frankly, I mean, if I'm just being honest, you know, the early days of the company was it was a you know, um, it was a little bit of the wild west, right? It wasn't built intentionally with the business in mind. It was this thing that kind of built up organically,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and there was this team of people spread out all over the country that were working on it with Dave, right? right. And so I think if you look at the the company is much more professionalized today, okay. Um, and that's part of what came with our investment in the company and so that's yeah. that's part of what we were trying to do.
0: Yeah, it clearly built a big community and as with anything though, it gets maybe misinterpreted in the general sphere, like you can't eat your high-carb diet and drink a bulletproof coffee and think you're going to be burning fat and be healthy, like right. it doesn't work that way but yet sometimes that's the way people interpret the message. And, you know, frequently when someone comes with, a high cholesterol, or they're not losing weight um, on a low carb diet. One of the first things we have to do is take them off that bulletproof coffee. So it's not all, all roses, but it's got its place. Um, and I guess, I guess the point is that the the marketing sometimes can confuse that. But that's business, right? Yeah, like, and
1: it's. Ju- I think it's just uh, part of what's hard about this is how much complexity there is yeah. in all of this stuff. You and right. I were talking about, but beforehand, we're we're trying to change, you know, very complex human systems and, um, and most people are not going to have the time or motivation to get into the weeds of it as you've done or I've done or you know, right. Peter Atiyah done done at, at an even more extreme level, right? And so, you know, I guess mo- another way of looking at it is, let's say somebody is drinking Bulletproof coffee but they're still eating lots of carbs right. and they're not losing weight, but let's say that bulletproof coffee is making them feel like a million bucks in the morning, and they didn't feel like a million bucks before. That's it's a win, and if nothing else, maybe it's starting to get them down this journey, this path of realizing that there are that the that the food they eat, um, the lifestyle they live actually does have an impact on how they feel. Yeah, and 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 maybe some of them then want more of that, hmm. and they're willing to go work with folks like you, and. Look, we'll, like we'll we'll take that win, right? Yeah. Because it's it it is it is moving people in the right direction.
0: All right, all right. But then there's the the broader concept of this. What's next in this market in this sphere? And uh, you know there are supplements, mm-hmm. thirty billion dollars in the United States alone, and talk about the Wild West and snake oil and like no limitations on on what you can say and what you can promote. I mean that's sort of a, a dangerous area. But now Silicon Valley is getting more involved in that as well.
1: Um, I, I'm just just I, I'm using a startup right now that makes custom supplements based on your your. Genetic profile and really? blood test. So yeah, I'm just validating that yes, this stuff is going on, and I'll try anything. So yeah. I, you know, I try these things and see how it goes.
0: Right. So the N of one experimenter, but it's much harder to say yes. Take this; it's going to improve your brain function. Yes, take this; it's going to make you a superhuman. When again, it sort of falls back on get regular exercise, get sun exposure, get plenty of sleep, eat a good diet, and that's going to do the heavy lifting. You know, you can take whatever supplements you want if you're not doing those things. It's not going to make a difference. But what do you see as sort of like the, the next thing on the horizon for health-related VC investments That's gonna we're going to be talking about in six months from now?
1: One thing that jumps to mind, which I think people are already talking about, is um, uh, the psychological side of all oh. of this. Um, and there's been a lot of investment in... Um, You know, meditation apps and other types of uh, uh, programs. You know, I think um, we have one in our portfolio called 10% Happier, um, uh, which perhaps you've heard of. Um, You know, we just invested in it. Is this a very early stage company that's um, helping people better manage their their marital relationships or, you know, relationships with their life partners? I think probably people like you and me spend a lot of time talking about the science and the drugs and the supplements and the diets and all those kinds of things. But there's a mental health aspect of this too that is also related to diet and supplements and drugs and all of those right. kinds of things. But um, but it's also something that can be worked on independently. Um, and and I think the startups that are that are working in those areas are seeing um, tremendous. Demand. There's still stigmas attached to um, thinking, you know, doing things about mental health, going to see Mm -hmm. a therapist, um, meditating, things like that. And the fact that now you can do these things on your mobile phone in the privacy of your own home, it kind of changes the game. Um, You know, I know fasting is something that you've brought up and, um, uh, you know, a lot of the community is interested in now. It definitely seems from what I understand of the science, which is still pretty rudimentary, but there's some strong evidence that um, there's real health benefits to fasting, and so we we've funded a very early stage company that's going to help folks with um, you know fasting programs. So those are the types of things. Um, uh, you know, th- those are certainly the types of things that are coming up and that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That that's going to, um, you know, fasting is fascinating though because how can you make money off of telling people not to eat? <laughs> you're not selling anything. You're taking something away, so it's more about like the the community and the coaching and the helping people through it. Is it? Yeah, it's, it's no
1: different than the um, the the meditation right. programs, for example. Which is, I mean, in theory, with all of this stuff, you can do it on your own, right? Like I can go buy coffee, put butter in it, buy yeah. some MCT oil, stick it in, blend it, right? right? I don't need somebody to do that for me. I can, you know, sit in, in the corner of the room here, close my eyes and I can meditate. But I don't, the question is will you? Yeah, and will I? And so, you know, a lot of these things, some of it is education and a lot of it is um, uh, really about convenience and um, behavioral change yeah. and, and having... Support when you're doing those things is really helpful. I mean, think about why Weight Watchers is such a big business. You can go on a diet, you you can count your calories. Sure. But Weight Watchers is a big business because it's actually there's value to having somebody help you go on that diet program.
0: And then you can gain it all back later. But that's another story. Right, right, (laughs) right. So, one of the other hot topics, it seems like, in terms of um, the future of nutrition and health and venture capital is fake meat, lab grown meat. Tyson Ventures led a $2.2 million round for an Israeli-based future meat technology. Cargill and Tyson invested in Memphis Meats, which is right here in Silicon Valley, Lab-grown Meats. And Merck, the drug company Merck, led an $8.8 million round for Mosa Meat, which is now a pharma-backed lab-cultured meat. And Bill Gates and Richard Branson are all getting on board. Although at the present moment, a pound of cell-cultured meat takes $2,400.00 to make basically. Oh man, this 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 subject has so many different things. One, the cost standpoint. Two, what are we actually eating? What's actually in it? And three, this is based on the fact that, you know, the concept that meat is, is bad and horrible for the environment, which is a very sort of kind of dumbed down argument without a lot of nuance, but then it seems to be hot and people are investing in it. So, how do you... Kind of incorporate all that and and say as an investor, is this something that's going to take off and something where you would want to back?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, part of it is Silicon Valley is always chasing the next big idea. Yeah. Um, and it does seem, uh, it, it does appear that there is a, you know, the the world is going to be facing a a, a big challenge with um, uh, meat consumption if we don't figure this out in some way as um, and, I, and I hear you that it's nuanced and whatnot, but as as more of the world gets lifted out of poverty and um, more people start eating meat and then also more people start demanding high-quality, healthy, clean meat, um, we're going to have to find new ways to support that kind of infrastructure because the type of farming that's being done today is, is not sustainable. Um, and so I think that... Um, the investors looking at this, the entrepreneurs starting these companies, are that you know that that's what they're that's what they're going after. They're right. saying you know th- this is a big idea because this is a huge challenge that the world is facing, and whoever can solve this problem um, could stand to both, you know, do a lot of good in the world and make a lot of money at the same time. And who wouldn't want to do that, right? right. I think that there would be a lot of consensus that if you could build a company that could make, grow meat in a low-cost, sustainable way, that that company would be very valuable. So we all agree that would be, if I, could, if I could put a dollar in that today, someday in the future I might get millions of dollars out. That's very exciting. It's just a question of when. Yeah. Is that two years from now? And is that, or is that 10 or 15 or 20 years from now? And, and this is where you get into some of the art of investing and and not the science because nobody has that perfect crystal ball to say th- these things are going to work in two years. Um, you know, our best guess right now is that it is further out on the time scale, The, the you know, in the five to ten year time type of time frame, mm-hmm. not the, you know, zero to five year type of time right. frame. But until these things become really commercially available at a price point and a quality level that is going to make you, you know, buy... XYZ lab grown meat instead of the ribeye from your um, you know the grass-fed ribeye from your local sustainable farm right um, so you know we think it's further out so when when we make that assessment we'll we'll wait and uh, you know so we haven't made an investment in that area uh, yeah I mean I, I think the the
0: comparison that you made is a good comparison so I had to say let's find ways to get more of the local grass-fed farms, let's find more ways to improve uh, the way we raise ruminants and bring them to market and let's find ways to improve that productivity and with regenerative agriculture help nature rather than hurt it. But that's sort of a harder sell because that's not technology, that's not as easily scalable, that's not as change the world type of mentality I think and that's where... Where I think Silicon Valley focuses more on the the lab culture meets, maybe and less on the sort of the real meets <laughs> for, for sure. I mean, yeah. but
1: but um to to you know maybe exp- make an either make an excuse or explain Silicon Valley a little bit, yeah, but it's our job here to fund the wacky, crazy, big ideas that might not work. I mean, that is the business model. Of of Silicon Valley. If you look at a, a venture fund like ours, we're going to most of our companies are not going to work. We're either going to you know we're either going to we're probably going to lose our money. We might be lucky to get it back. But then you get start. Then but then one of those companies is Starbucks, right? And nothing else you did matters, right? Right. And so uh, you know if one of these lab-grown meat companies works and achieves the potential that the investors, the founders think it can meet, it's, it, was a, it was a risk worth taking. Um, or something in their portfolio does that, then it was, you know, that, that basket of risk made sense. There are other types of businesses like what you just described that deserve funding that will get it from other places, just not Silicon Valley, it's not our job in the world. Um, and I like I think that's okay. There's a lot of criticism of Silicon Valley, and and I and, you know and I get why. But it's we are not the only source of funding in the world. We are a specific source of funding for a specific type of company and idea, and it's a big world that's awash in capital. And so there are yeah. you know there are other ways to get the kind of sustainable farming movement funded. It's not it's not what Silicon Valley is built to do. Yeah, but wouldn't it be great if Silicon Valley got into that? I mean, that, wouldn't that help so much more? Uh, look, I'm a I'm a believer in specialization, right? Um, uh, and, you know, maybe it would be great if a like a farming area, may, maybe the Central Valley in California should get really into that. Um, yeah. And I think money from Silicon Valley does end up out in those places and there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley who invest money in these types of causes or donate money to these types of causes. But I, I just, I don't think that it's Silicon's, Silicon Valley's responsibility to do everything. Um <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but, I mean that. Look, that's just my point of view. But yeah. it's a big country, like you know. And Silicon
0: well, Valley is not one place either. It's so right. many different, so many different companies and so many different mindsets. And what so. we
1: know is tech, right? That's yeah. that's we don't know farming, but there are lots right. of people out there that really know farming. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's interesting that Mark made such a big investment because that almost from a publicity standpoint just sounds awful to have a pharmaceutical company involved in making your meat. To me, it just does not sound very good. And it brings up the questions of like regulations, like how do you regulate this? Is it food? Is it a drug? Is it a supplement? What is it? And I think that's going to be something that can really impact whether investors see return on their capital or not depending on how this is regulated and who regulates it. I don't know if you have any insight into that because it's not really...
1: I mean, if I did, <laughs> I, I, I you know I don't know even I don't know how you would have insight into that because it's there's so many unknowns there. I I don't invest in this area, so I don't know if the government is looking at it, but yeah. um, it's it's just another you know when we're making investments like this, we 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 list all the risks and then we look at what the reward could be if it if it works, yeah. right? And then we and then it's you everyone has to make their own. Judgment does that risk? Sorry, does the reward justify all the risks you're taking there? So every, I mean, everything you're saying is legitimate.
0: Is there something similar around like hydroponic vegetables? And um, I'm not that doesn't get as much news attention, I don't think. But are you aware of any you know big startups around that?
1: I am. I mean, I I, I've seen a couple startups that are doing um, uh, agriculture, uh, plant based agriculture in. Shipping containers, for mm-hmm. example, and that's Elon Musk's brother. I think is doing some of that. Yeah, yeah. and there's a few companies doing that. And and I, I, you know, that to me seems like a great idea. Um, less risky than, um, you know, doing lab-grown meat because you're not changing the biology. Um, you're right. still growing plants, but the, right. you, I mean, you're just growing plants like we always have. You're just doing it at higher density. And just resource intensity of, of current of of the current agricultural system is huge. I forget what percentage of the world's um, land is dedicated to agriculture, but it's it's huge. I mean, it's probably something like I'm making up numbers now, but I mean, it's probably something like 70 percent, or something like that. Uh, maybe of the places that have been like ha- habitable land, or something like that. Okay. And um, and if you Okay, so but I, I even know, if yeah. it's, even but if it's, it's 20 or 30%, but, it's right. huge. It's still a
0: lot and what is doing to the land is exactly awful. Like exactly, it's yeah.
1: destroying the soil. And you're and, using all these resources yeah. like um, in California, for example, there's this constant fight between the Central Valley and the coastal cities about water, water right? Yeah. And um, and so what these farms inside of shipping containers are doing yeah. is um, is making you know, a hyper-efficient, low-resource-intensity version of farming. So I I met one company that could grow, you know, as many strawberries in a shipping container as you could grow in something like 3,000 acres of land. Wow. Um, And and part of that is because, you know, you have soil depletion and you have to, you know, move crops around and things like that so you can Mm -hmm. only use sections of it at a time and they can, you know, do it. Year round, twenty four seven, and you can stack these things vertically, right? Right. So I, I think there's some really cool ideas there. I think um, you know whether they'll work as businesses is is hard to say. But I'm glad people are uh, taking those risks, making right. those bets.
0: Yeah, it changes the resource. It, it makes it a more you know lights and electricity resource as opposed to land resource. When and monocropping is definitely not good for for the country. Yeah, and
1: it's well, it's even more. Um, I mean, it's it's more complex and nuanced than even that because the water usage, for the example, water. is a lot more efficient. Right. Um,
0: you can recycle the use of the water. And, exactly. You know, yeah, and, and evaporate and, as much. Exactly. You know, yeah. Right. And by the way, I feel awful that I called Kimball Musk Elon Musk's brother. I have to correct myself. He's got a name. He's got his own thing. He stands on his own two feet. That was not respectful of me to say. But anyway, all right, now I've got to ask you about something. I read that you started a bagel company called Schmendrix. Is that right? Yes, that's... I did. <laughs> so I this did. guy who's had a low-carb journey starts a bagel company.
1: I'm um, into low-carb. <laughs> here are my bagels. Um, um, so I started the... we uh, My my wife and a couple friends and I started this business. I forget what year. Um but you know, we started because uh, you live on the West Coast. I'm, I'm guessing you hear this in San Diego all the time. But the common refrain in San Francisco is there are no good bagels in San Francisco, and right. so all
0: oh, the East Coasters say that you can't yeah, get good bagels. It yeah. just goes in one ear and out the yeah, other. For we me, East right Coasters,
1: now. and I'm from the Boston area, yeah. and and our friends we did this with were from New York, and. We were lamenting the fact that there were no good bagels, and and why, and there are all these theories, right? It's the water. It's so we set out to prove that um, you could make a high quality bagel um, in San Francisco. There was not there was nothing special about New York, and so we actually managed to reverse engineer our favorite New York bagel and then sell it very successfully here um, in. Uh, San Francisco um, and it, the business was thriving. Um, my, my wife, who was primarily running it because I'm otherwise employed as a venture capitalist, um, shut it down for really two reasons. I mean, one, it was during this period that um, we met Dave, started to experiment with uh, low-carb life, uh, lifestyle and the low-carb diet. And, you know, we did start to have some serious concerns that the products we were selling, even though they were really delicious, um, were not healthy for folks. Um, more importantly, um, my wife discovered... See, this is interesting, she discovered she had a, a gluten allergy. Uh. But it's like you, until you start learning about all this stuff, you, yeah. don't, you don't really know, right? It was just something that she had... Like my fatigue was part of my life, Right, I didn't know any other reality. She didn't know other any other reality except feeling some like GI distress mm. when she ate. It's just for her it was eating. Right. Just for me like existing was being tired. Right. Um, and and so, you know, Dave and low-carb and all this opened up our eyes to this idea that, you know, what you put in your body really matters and it's complex and you should experiment. So we discovered this thing. So, that I mean, that's ultimately why we ended up... Um she decided to shut the business down.
0: Which is incredibly responsible because I think maybe ninety-five percent of businessmen would say and businesswomen would say, if this is a thriving business, health be darned, let's keep making money. I mean it's it's a difference between being a business person and being a socially responsible business person. So I think that's I think that makes for a great story and happy ending.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't want to say that bagels are socially irresponsible though. I don't want to end with that message. I think like a ba- you know a I'll bagel say it. I'll a, say it. a bagel an occasional <laughs> bagel is if it's a good bagel is probably not the end of the world. Well,
0: now can you produce a New York bagel quality keto bagel? That would be the question. We have
1: talked about that. We can't imagine how that would be possible. <laughs> okay. Worth it though, come on. Uh, If 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 we can do it, if we can find a way, I promise you we will.
0: All right, very good. I will definitely keep my eyes open for that. Well, Dan, this has been a great talk. I really enjoyed it. Any other last words? And of course, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you and get in touch with you?
1: Well, my profile is at at the Trinity Ventures website, which is just trinityventures.com. I'm pretty easy to get in touch with, but I get a lot of emails. So the best way to get in touch with me is to find someone who knows me. So look on LinkedIn because... Um, I'm pretty well connected, so you can usually find a way in. Um, And, um, you know, I I think the only um, thought I'd leave is just going back to something we talked earlier, which is that, you know, what I've learned through all of this is you can really, this stuff is important, low carb is important, but more importantly, this concept of that we can actually use diet and other lifestyle modifications to improve the way we feel. Um, improve our health, improve our longevity. It's it's very real, and I you know I would encourage anyone who has interest in it in going down the journey and and viewing it as a journey of exploration and learning. Yeah, I, I like how
0: you say that. That it's exploration, it's learning, and self experimentation and finding out what's right for you because you have the perfect history of someone with high cholesterol, familial hypercholesterolemia, a hyper responder who you could easily say, forget it, this is not the way for you. But yet, if you look a little more individually, you say, well, maybe this there's something that you can get out of this that will make it worth it for you. And and you're not going to get that from a textbook, you're not going to get that from a doctor who doesn't see people as individuals. So, I think you're a perfect example for that. For Thank you for sharing your story and for sharing all your knowledge with us today. Uh,
1: thank you for having me.